Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck, coming to you live from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, as we do each and every week. I got the good Dr. Frey with me. Doc, how are you making out? I'm doing great, Jason. How about yourself? I'm doing well, as always. We got another great crowd down here tonight, and once again, we're here to talk about some NFL injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what a good time it is in sports, right? We, we, we got through the doldrums of the summer, um, and all of a sudden, here we are. NFL is up and rocking. We have uh, uh, NBA just getting up and running. NHL, I'm a big fan. Going again, and we're into the uh, into the into the playoffs or the MLB. It's just you know, Major League Soccer's going. Really, kind of got everything rocking. And and we have Winter Olympics. Look forward to this uh, winter. And hopefully that kind of opens up the uh, horizon for us about, you know, some different topics and we can kind of steer away from the NFL. But in the meantime, this past week, NFL week six, oddly enough, two spinal cord injuries, something that we don't typically see. And we haven't covered it, you know, in a couple of months when we had Dr. Greenleaf on. But this, um, this is kind of our first venture down um, a topic that we pretty much or that we've gone over mm-hmm. at one point in the past. Yeah, we had Dr. Greenleaf on. We talked about some spinal cord injuries, and we're going back down that road again. Yeah. Who'd you bring with us tonight? Dr. Jim Sanfilippo, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you guys uh, for having me here tonight. Uh, so my name is Jim Sanfilippo. Uh, I am a spine fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon, yeah. uh, huge sports fan, and a huge fan of uh, your guys' podcasts. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> what, what's your involvement with Recon? How, how long have you been with us? Uh, so I've been with Recon now 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on the uh, board of directors for Recon. More so than just with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in yeah. charge. Yeah. Uh, me at some point. Definitely uh, my boss for sure. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But uh, have been a board member now for about 10 of those 13 years. Uh, Chief of Spine at uh, Virtua uh, Healthcare. Uh, also see patients, though, through the uh, Jefferson and Spear systems as well. And you and your son, a client here at the Energy Lab, right? Yes, we are. He can't wait to get back down here and working out now that uh, baseball season's wrapping up. We look forward to having you guys back down here when the time uh, is right. Like I said, we episode nine, which was a few months ago, we had uh, your colleague. Is is that, that partner? That, partner. Yeah, okay, partner. so we had your partner, Doctor. You know, Bob Greenleaf on. Uh, we covered spinal cord injuries in, in a different way, um, where we talked about the prognosis, the diagnosis, the long term outcome. Uh, of a, you know, unfortunately it was a 17 year old uh, youth hockey player. And we covered a lot about that. I think the one thing that we didn't touch on was a lot about the on-field management. And as we now know this many months later, a lot of our listeners are other healthcare professionals, athletic trainers, physical therapists. So I thought you could bring in a, you know, a different spin to this topic for us. Sounds good, anything I can do? Um, like we said, two of them, which, what, the percentages can't be high of that. Right. No, I mean, we've gone whole seasons before without mm-hmm. seeing two guys carted off the field and right. uh, two in one weekend uh, is kind right. of alarming um, and two sort of freak uh, injuries and freak plays that they happened on. And they were fairly different. Completely right? different. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first one, Daryl Taylor of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, defensive end, uh, former second round pick two years ago, really only is in his second year. Uh, as a matter of fact, his first year was spent on kind of the, what we call the pup list where he, you know, was actually recovering from a, a different injury. Uh, so this is really his first go around with the action. Um, and then the other uh, Taylor Lewan of the Tennessee Titans, former first round pick back in 2014. Uh, Daryl was, you know, closing moments of the game. Um, looks like they were kind of closing in on a tackle. Um, and the, you know, the pile kind of collapses on him. His head's kind of crown p- pointing forward and his nut neck hyperextends, mm-hmm. right? 
Yes. Uh, Taylor Lewan was, you know, kind of what they teach you that they're trying to get away from where he's actually pursuing a pile. Right. And really, he was just trying to pick somebody off at the end there, right? I'm not saying a dirty shot, but he was just trying to keep the play going. Keep, um, keep his guy moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and what would you say his mechanism was? So he was more of a, of a you know, lateral or side like, force. Like, sat, like a lateral side of his head and neck. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it really gets different. It right? didn't look that dramatic. I don't like watching it happen. Like I was surprised, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa!" All right. Yeah, I think for uh, for Luan, I think the bigger thing or the biggest concern was that I, he appeared to be unconscious oh, at that right. point. At one, you know, for a few seconds on the field, right. and I think that becomes the bigger concern. Are we dealing with a head right. injury? Are we dealing with a spinal cord injury? Right. And that's what prompted a lot of the uh, caution and concern. And that's exactly my point. They were very different in that uh, Taylor. He actually rolled over. He was sitting upright, then yeah. kind of laid back down on his own, whereas uh, Lawan was not moving. Mm-hmm. He, he saw, there was a little bit of like a, a flick of the leg at one point, but he looked unconscious and, yeah. and motionless. Yeah. Yet they both leave on a on a stretcher. Yep. Right. They're and I'll both tell you, everybody boarding. holds their breath until they mm-hmm. get that thumbs up. Right. You know, as they're right. being carted over. Okay, they have movement now. Everybody sort of decompresses. Mm-hmm. And, you have an opportunity to figure out what's going on. So let, let's start with, you know, myself as an athletic trainer, you know, either Dr. Frey or you were out there on the field. Let's walk our listeners through what that conversation is like. Um, how, how does that even start? It's, it's, Hey, Hey, you know, talk to me. What do we got? What are you feeling? I think the first thing is, can they talk to you? Yeah. Right. You know, and make, that's where you're, you're looking for a response. Basic that point, life right? support, man. ABCs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Making yeah. sure their airways clear, making sure they're breathing, making sure they got pulses, making sure that they can talk to you. They're conscious. Uh, and I think within the, the Juan situation, I think that was the bigger concern is right. that he wasn't conscious when right. they got out there. Then it became, okay, what are we dealing with here? Mm-hmm. They're making sure that they can uh, stabilize his neck because you don't know if it was a, a cervical injury, a C-spine injury there in the neck. And uh, as he came to, I think then the conversation becomes, okay, where does it hurt? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Right vision okay mm-hmm. making sure when they talk to you that it makes sense making sure their speech isn't garbled um that you worry about maybe a, a throat injury or something like that then it becomes you know basic you know can you move your feet can you move your hands can you move your legs is there any pain is there any burning numbness and tingling all of this happens relatively quickly right, right. but anytime you have a patient down that you're worried about a head or neck injury you know it is stabilization first making sure that, you know, there's no chance that anything we're going to do at that point is going to further the injury. Right. Um, then you get them off the field safely. You get them back to the medical people in the mm-hmm. back, uh, x-ray machine, MRI machine, or CAT scan at the hospital mm-hmm. as you need and deem, yeah. and, uh, deem fit or yeah. deem necessary based on their exam at that time. And, and this seems crazy. You would think like, like oh my God, you're, you're worried about a you know, cervical spine injury and the implications that it has, you know, that person, that player is going to be completely compliant, listening to everything you say. Not even close, right? Like they're, they're charged, they're adrenaline fueled. Their teammates are yelling at them, "Come on, get up!" And 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 like it's like chaos. And you're like, "Stay down, stay down." And, and I think their feeling is right. That here comes the doc. He's going to pull me out of the game, and I don't want to come out of the game. The idea that they might be hurt frequently doesn't enter their mind, right? And then you ask them about the neck, like, "Oh yeah, it hurts." And then they're trying to get up again. And um, 
you're, you're, you're really trying to like calm the whole situation down. Really the best thing would be is if they were to calm down and kind of let you go through the questioning because then there's less of a chance you're going to pull them out of the yeah. game because you can get an accurate assessment on them. But that's not how it plays out. Like there is just fire and they're ready to get up if they can. Sometimes, sometimes they can't. And, and, and that's not the situation. Yeah. But it is a little bit of a chaotic situation when you're out there. And, and not to sound redundant, but in, in previous episodes, we've always mentioned, you know, we were not the treating physicians. We, mm -hmm. we don't have access sure. to medical records. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll state that again. So the three of us were not on the field, but Dr. Sanfilippo, so you went through what you're asking. What do you, what do you suspect were those answers that warranted them being spine boarded? Um, what, what did that, that staff see that said that they, they made the signal, they brought the golf cart out, they brought the spine board? So again, I think there's two very different stories sure. at play here. So one where you have a loss of consciousness, mm -hmm. even if the player and when the player regains consciousness, it can talk to you. You're not sure if there's a reliable story coming out mm -hmm. of at that point. So you take right. every precaution, mm -hmm. you guard against every possible scenario, which is a spinal cord injury as well as a head injury. You spine board them, you take them back, then you evaluate them in a much more controlled environment. So, you know, my gut, just looking at the scenario and seeing how it's playing out now, mm -hmm. where Luan's in, in concussion protocol mm -hmm. and we're not worried about a spinal cord injury mm -hmm. is, you know, he woke up and he said, listen, I don't hurt. Right. I don't have pain down my arms. I don't have pain in my legs. I can move everything. I have good feeling but they still have to take that precaution because you don't know if what we call a distracting injury. Mm -hmm. So the head injury now takes precedent over the spinal cord injury and you don't know if he's telling you, for him it's the truth, but mm -hmm. is one more uh, urgent in his mind versus the other and is he downplaying one versus the other unintentionally. Mm -hmm. In the other situation, in the Taylor situation, the bigger concern um, I think for what I would assume is he had burning down the arms. Right. Or he had temporary weakness in the arms or legs. Right. Or he had a, an electrical shock sensation. We mm -hmm. used to call them growing up playing football, we used to call them burners. Mm -hmm. You know, you would get hit and all, your arms would go warm and dead for 30 seconds and then would come right back and no one thought anything of it. Mm -hmm. You know, back then the coaches would get you up. Okay, you either set out for a couple of plays or if it was really mm -hmm. bad, they could sit out for the rest of the game and then you'd go back when you feel better. Mm -hmm. But in these situations, you know, with these guys, the collisions that they have, the speed that they uh, have, the mass that they have, you know, is that a disc herniation? Is it a cervical fracture or, or a fracture of one of the vertebrae that, you know, now becomes uh, unstable? So the best thing here is to stabilize them, you know, lock them in, spine board them, bring them back, get an x-ray. If there's any concern with any type of neurologic injury, you take them to the local hospital, you get an MRI, you make sure you evaluate the spinal canal and cord as best right. as possible. And that sounds like what, what occurred here. Yeah. So I would assume on the field, he said, okay, you know what? I had weakness in my arms and legs, um, or I had burning in my arms or legs or an electrical sensation. And they said, okay, good, mm -hmm. stay there. We're locking you in, let's yeah. get you evaluated. Yeah. And it sounds like from a precautionary standpoint, they, they took them to the locker room and then further evaluation took place. Mm -hmm. So maybe at this point, you're a little bit more hands-on. Yeah, you do a motor exam at this point, you test all the muscle strength in the arms and legs, you do a sensory exam. Can you summarize that? Like, is that an easy thing for you to talk about? Like what that motor exam looks like? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you start looking at what muscles and nerves. So that each nerve innervates a set of muscles in the arms and legs. Um, so, you know, for the cervical, you're, you're testing the deltoids, which is C5, you know, biceps, wrist extensors are C5, C6, triceps, C7, all your hand muscles, you know, or your C8, T1 uh, muscles there for your finger flexors, your hand intrinsics. 
So you're looking to see, you know, on a scale of one to five, where you know one's a flicker of the muscle and five is full strength. You know where they sort of sit. You know you would expect a you know a professional football player to be fives across the board, mm-hmm. unless there's an injury. Um, same thing for the for the legs. You know your hip flexors are your L1, L2, your quads L3, L4. Um, your ankle flex, uh, dorsiflexors are L4, L5. Your toes, you know, big toe is L5. And then your uh, gastroc muscle, your plantar flexors are S1. If there's any weakness anywhere there, you know, it starts to alert you to what area could be injured and needs to be evaluated a little bit more. It's the same thing with your sensory exams. As you're going through that, there's different dermatomes. So each nerve not only innervates a muscle, but is a patch of skin for sensation. You're testing those and really looking at uh, to light touch or to sharper touch. You know, are there any deficits? Does it feel normal? Is it equal on both sides? Yeah. To try to pinpoint and look for where that injury may have occurred. So let me uh, ask you another question here, and uh, just just so you can elaborate a little bit. So in in this in, in the case of Daryl Taylor, uh, Daryl Taylor, when he was down on the field, you could see he, he moved his legs and he moved his arms. Yet they spine board him and take him to the trauma center, and he gets the whole workup. So if he's moving, why do they go through that precaution? Well, just because you're moving doesn't mean there's not an injury. Right. Um, so now you worry about, is there any instability in the neck? So if there was a fracture that's not pressing on a nerve, you may not have weakness. You may not have sensory changes. It may just be pain or it may have been temporarily uh, different sensory-wise or pain-wise. But you have to take that precaution at that point that you're not dealing with something that's unstable. You want to get the MRI. You want to look at those nerves. You want to look at the spinal cord. You want to look at the bones and make sure that the ligaments are all attached. Um, so that's the precaution there. Um, so if you don't protect the spine during that period of time, you can go for a scenario where there's the injury there, but the neurologically you're still okay. And then you can actually develop the neurologic injury after. If you get the patient up and there's instability anywhere in the spinal, uh, on the spinal axis and spinal, uh, cord or around the spinal cord, you can have a bone slip or slide. You can have a disc herniate or push back, Mm -hmm. and then you can have a second injury at that time, which could be more catastrophic. Right. Right. Again, talking about how, how different these were. So assuming you were the one on site and you went through your assessment, one of the, one of these two leaves the the stadium that night and goes for further testing. Mm -hmm. And as we now know, Taylor Lewan didn't leave. It was really just placed in concussion protocol. His wife was in the locker room with him. Uh, and according to her, he was asking if he could go back in and finish the game at this point. Um, <laughs> got to admire it. Not the best decision, I, I guess but got to admire it. These guys it, don't it, get to this point in their careers right. by wanting to sit out. Right, so. right. right. So uh, Daryl Taylor leaves, and he goes and gets testing. And mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about the imaging process, about what it is that you specifically would be looking for. So... Or how we got to that point yeah. where, where we decided that he had to go get testing. And again, not being there, I'm assuming, um, you know, we come back into the locker room. We're able to now in a much calmer environment, um, really try to ask questions about what were the symptoms initially on the field. And again, I assume there was some sort of neurologic mm-hmm. alert, meaning there was burning, there was tingling, there was weakness of some sort right. that said, OK, you know what? This may be something more than what we're seeing here on an x-ray, which mm-hmm. all of these facilities have x-ray mm-hmm. units that they're, that they're getting x-rays. Yeah. Um, so my assumption uh, with Daryl Taylor was that there was some symptom 
there neurologically that they said, you know what, we should get an MRI before we allow mm -hmm. anything further mm -hmm. as far as movement, motion, or, you know, getting up, going home, you mm -hmm. know, getting back on a plane to fly back to Seattle. Mm -hmm. We should really evaluate this further. And I think that's what they did. It sounds like they ruled out anything major on an MRI or CAT scan. Right. Um, he had both. C can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, why both? And, and what one tells us differently than the other? So MRIs are great at mm -hmm. looking at soft tissues. Mm -hmm. um, so an MRI shows swelling or what we call edema mm -hmm. or fluid. Um, it's great at showing discs and nerves and um, ligaments. It's not great at assessing bone quality mm -hmm. or if there's a fracture in the bone. Um, so CAT scans are the gold standard for evaluating bony structures. Um, so most likely they were concerned or wanted to rule out both a bony injury as well as a soft tissue injury. So it takes very little time to get a CAT scan. Um, they get scanned as soon as they roll in. Yeah, right? cool. yeah. especially at these facilities. Right. So, you know, to get that done and make sure that we know 100% what we're dealing with, if the technology is available, might as well get it done. You say, when you say roll in, is, is that happening at the stadium? Do you think they have CT no, scan? No, 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 that's at the, at the trauma they center. They get to the trauma yeah. center, okay. yeah, and then they, they get the CT scan, oh, yeah. they go right on down. Yeah. Um, but the MRI takes a little longer. For these guys, it oh, still yeah. happens quickly, but it doesn't happen as when they're rolling into the, you know, the emergency room. Yeah. Right. And I'm assuming they got x-rays in the locker room oh, yeah. that showed that, sure. you know, there was no gross instability. So now they're able mm -hmm. to comfortably get them into an ambulance, get them over to the mm -hmm. hospital locally for yep. additional testing. Both head coaches, uh, Pete Carroll for the Seahawks, Mike Vrabel for the Titans, uh, you know, had their weekly press conference. And Dr. Sanfilippo, surprised or no that neither of these guys are ruled out for Sunday? Um, uh, we won't have to talk on the likelihood, but the fact that they're just because we now know consideration. Every, everything everything came back clean, yeah. right? And which is great news, I'm assuming. I'm very happy that yeah. both are being considered right. after watching them get right. carted off. Yeah. Um, no, if if the studies come back clean and yeah. the neurologic symptoms in, in Taylor's case resolved quickly, yeah. um, there doesn't seem to be any swelling in or around the spinal cord and he's got full strength, mm -hmm. there's nothing to say that he can't, you know, play when cleared, yeah. you know, appropriately. Uh, and it sounds like now uh, with Taylor Lewan, more of this seems to be more concussion based. Concussion protocol, right. right. Um, that's where you worry about the loss of consciousness, all yeah. of that. Everything else has sort of been ruled out now. Right. Um, so when he clears concussion protocol, yeah. you know, there's nothing to say that, you know, he shouldn't play. I'm trying to put our, like, all of us in the, in the, uh, in the locker room there for Tennessee, specifically speaking of Lewan, where, is this a situation where you were there and uh, a Dr. Holmes or a Dr. Evering, uh, you know, also from recon were there and then suddenly it's like, Doc, I, th I think we're good. Uh, we're going to have uh, Holmes. <laughs> is, is that kind of like, because this suddenly became more so of the concussion. One of our non-off guys taking over at that point. Right, like yeah. more of a concussion base? Like, it, it, well, 100%. Yeah. Once you rule out Head the back spinal to the field cord injury. Just in case. Yeah. Exactly. Once yeah. you rule out the spinal cord injury, once yeah. you rule out a shoulder injury or, or something like that, head and injury. it becomes... You know, it becomes which, the head injury. Which is a gray area, right? When I say head injury, I mean something not um, not like a subdural or something mm -hmm. like that. Head injury in the sense of concussion. Yeah, once we're dealing, and we're pretty confident that we know we're dealing with a concussion at that point, mm -hmm. um, yeah, then it becomes the non-operative doc sort yeah. of take over and run with it. You know, in this case, hide his helmet so he can't go back right, in right. those types right, right. of things. Because he was already looking, high school too. Thing. Yeah, yeah. He was already looking, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I guess switching gears then back to Taylor who there was some kind of involvement mm -hmm. long-term for him. I mean, I mean, is there a concern for him coming back so soon? 
um, as long as there's no instability, as yeah. long as there's no pressure on the mm -hmm. cord, what we call stenosis or compression of, uh, you know, of a nerve or the cord, as long as there's no swelling in the spinal cord, you're not so worried about if this is an initial injury. Right, right. Now, this happens every time he goes to make a tackle moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's a different ball game. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be at that point a further evaluation into some instability pattern of some sort mm -hmm. where something's getting dinged. Um, but if it's, this is a one-time thing, long-term, you're not, I'm not worried about yeah. long-term sequelae from a one-time event that lasted very briefly or what I'm assuming is very briefly to get to this point yeah. already. Right. Um, and a good recovery in a quick, mm -hmm. in a quick uh, accelerated time frame. Now, we talk about a lot of other injuries or soft tissue injuries, right? And we talk about, you know, calf strains and hamstring injuries. And once these guys get one, even shoulder shoulder instability, um, they're 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 more likely for it to happen to them again. Unfortunately, in this scenario, is 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 let's say uh, Daryl Taylor more likely to have this happen to him again now that it's happened one time, or he's no more likely to have it happen again. And if it does start happening again, that's a red flag. So, not knowing what the MRI showed fully, it's tough to answer that question. Sure. So. One of the concerns or one of the things that the spinal surgeon um, that's following this case would want to know is, is there stenosis or narrowing around the cord in the canal? And a lot of times we see with these guys that are prone to these burner stingers, is there some form of congenital stenosis, meaning you're born with a canal that's a little bit more narrow than the average person? Mm -hmm. In that case, once you start to develop these burners or stingers or these uh, neurologic um, spinal cord contusions, right. for lack of a better way to put it, um, yes, you worry about long-term, now you have an issue. If his canal is fully patent, there's no narrowing around the cord. There's no edema in the cord itself, meaning that it wasn't contused and bruised and swollen. Then there's really no, addition, no higher likelihood than today than he had two weeks ago. When you are looking at an MRI and you're seeing stenosis, and mm -hmm. let's just kind of relate it to football since we're on that topic, sure. but that's a difficult conversation for you to have with that patient, I'm mean, because there's an unfortunate outcome, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, of that conversation. So if, if there's significant narrowing at a canal and you're playing a contact sport, um, and, uh, and usually you find that because there is an injury yeah. with neurologic compromise mm -hmm. that prompts you to get the MRI, yeah, that's not a, not a fun conversation to have because you start talking about people's careers. Yeah. Right. You start talking on the college level about people's scholarships and education mm -hmm. um, and millions of dollars to be made at the professional level. On the flip side, they're alive, hopefully, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, and, and hopefully without injury at that point. And like, you know, they've escaped this situation where they're predisposed for something major and they don't have something major. A hundred percent. And that's and that's the logic that you try to use and try to impress on them that, you know, the next time you might not be so lucky. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've caught it. You're healthy. You're functioning. You know, you think about players, and I'm not saying they had stenosis going into it, but you think about the players like Ryan Shazier right. uh, from the Steelers a couple mm -hmm. years Mike ago. Utley, um, Kevin Everett. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can go down the list, sure. you know, these guys, the Adam Telefaro's and uh, Eric, Eric LaGrange. LaGrange, right, We were talking about from right. Rutgers. Right. You know, these guys weren't so lucky. They've recovered some neurologic function, but they're not, you know, at the normal level that they were pre-injury. Mm -hmm. Um, so trying to explain to some of these athletes, 
um, the logic behind it and, and trying to get them to see that, you know, maybe there's something else that we need to consider doing with the rest of our lives other than, you know, a contact sport. Some see it more than others. Um, some unfortunately need, you know, other people such as agents, family members, um, the, the teams yeah. to basically say, no, you're done to try to prevent them from, from themselves. But for a lot of these guys to get to this level, this is all they've known their entire life. Right. So that's a real tough conversation. Yeah. From, from a, this, this podcast is always focused on the sports world, but you as the physician, you know, here with reconstructive orthopedics, you're seeing these types of injuries from other things. Mm-hmm not just sports. I mean, what are those, what, what brings people to see you? You know, when, when you start getting into um, some of these types of injuries mm-hmm. that we're talking about, the spinal cord type injuries, you're worried about falls, you're worried about uh, car accidents, Motor- yeah. um, motorcycle accidents, uh, you know, um, injuries at, you know, not at necessarily at work, but injuries mm-hmm. of activity um, that cause some sort of blunt trauma. Right. Uh, basically. Um, but, you know, in general, you know, when people are coming in, you can have a neurologic deficit just from a, sp- a disc herniation mm-hmm. that was caused from bending over, picking something up mm-hmm. um, or, you know, reaching for something. Um, you know, I, I've se- you've seen people that were sick and they were vomiting and all of a sudden they end up with pain down a leg or sciatica where you're worried about a disc herniation or something like that. Um, arthritis in general, as uh, as we age and you start to get arthritic changes, that can cause narrowing around the nerves in, in the neck or in the lower back or mid back that can produce some neurologic deficits or neurologic injuries. Right. So in some way, shape or form, we're seeing the same types of patterns in other people, not necessarily from the traumatic sports mm-hmm. world. Right. And you handle those a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be less acute or, or immediate onset. They tend to be a little bit more chronic or insidious onset over time uh, when it's more of a degenerative process or an arthritic process. But ultimately the conversations, the pathology or the reason behind the deficit or the neurologic uh, issue is one of a few things. And it all has to deal with pressure or stenosis around the nerves or the cord. You know, this might be getting into the weeds a little bit, um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, I think can be helpful or, or relatively interesting for, for, you know, the average listener. We also have a lot, a lot of athletic trainers that, that, that listen and people who have some, some medical background and some, some, uh, knowledge. One of the controversial topics has become, or, you know, has been kind of over the years, removing the helmet, removing the shoulder pads or not removing it. And what, where do you stand on that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, in the, in the hour or so leading up to the talk and it's, yeah. and I agree, I think it was uh, Jason, I think you said, you know, with your training, it was always an all or nothing. Right. You know, and, and I, I tend to agree with that. Both you know, around, if yeah. you're, if you're worried about a spinal cord injury, you need to stabilize that spinal, that, that spinal axis, you know, and you need to do that regardless of anything else going on. Now, right. the only difference would be, you know, you mentioned it early on is you're worried about the ABCs. You're worried right. about, you know, if you have to worry about CPR and you need to get that helmet off and, and shoulder pads off in order to save this guy's life, you need to do it. 
you know, now we can do it with inline stabilization and try to minimize the amount of movement um, that as, as much as possible. Sure. But the first thing is you save the life. You get right. the airway, you get you get a pulse, you get the breathing back. Yeah. Then you worry about neurologic after that. Um, so I'm always a fan of keeping the helmet on, keeping the shoulder pads on until we get a good evaluation, a good exam, an x-ray back in the locker room unless you're worried about a life-threatening situation, then you need to do what you need to do on that field. Because I think every, everything I remember, or not remember, is what I follow is that the cardiac component's always gonna take precedence mm -hmm. over a suspected neck injury, yeah, yeah. correct? Cardiopulmonary, yeah, yeah, for sure. Spinal cord means nothing if there's no pulse. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and, I, and certainly wanna give, uh, I know he's a, a listener, uh, Brandon Olea is kind of a special contributor for us here, uh, one of our new athletic trainers with reconstructive orthopedics, primarily in our recon sports department. You know, he was the one that, you know, we were talking way earlier to this, this he was kind of the one that coined the all or none and I was like, that's kind of what I, I don't think I had a word for it, right. uh, but I know he listens and I, I don't want to take credit for, you know, him giving that principle out. Right. But that, that's kind of was like, I was like, we're either going to do it or we're not. Yeah, and right. we're not going to jeopardize stabilization of the neck. If I don't have somebody to stabilize with me, then I'm, I'm not necessarily going to start cutting off shoulder pads, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. And I think that was, that's been sort of the traditional teaching, like through the nineties has been, it was looked at. Yeah. And then in 2000, I remember in an article in uh, AJSM where it was like, just leave the pads on or something, or just leave the helmet on. It was something it was titled something along those lines where really the, the the data was suggesting that you know fewer sequelae or fewer issues um with with leaving it on you know the first thing you do is you go in you take off the face mask and there's a couple different ways you can do that depending on the face mask and then you, you know you do kind of this t cut through the mm -hmm. through the jersey often so that you can pull the jersey off or get quick access to the chest if you need it you un, un, unstrap or unlace the the the, the shoulder pads and there but but if if the situation doesn't call for it on the field right there and then that, that you might need to do CPR right there or um, hook up an, a an AED uh, mm -hmm. uh, right there on the field, then then typically you, you leave the equipment on until they get to the hospital. More recently, um, and it seems strange to me, in the last couple of years, there's been a little bit of, I think of, it's become a little more regional and actually South Jersey is one of the areas where there's been a little bit of pushback to potentially remove the head, the helmet and the shoulder pads on the field. And I guess some of the thoughts or the benefits to that are that you can actually get a little better control. You're not kind of rolling around on the spine board. You can get a little better control if you put on the cervical collar and kind of pad everything after after they've been removed. And concern that um, when the, that person gets to the ER, that the really the, the, the athletic trainer and the sports doc or whomever's at the at the field has uh, a little more experience in removing them and removing the helmet and the shoulder pads a little more appropriately. But on the flip side, the argument being that you know. Time is everything here, and, and really, it, it takes less time to get them off, and it's also kind of tough. Like in that scenario, like I just said, where the, the patient is or the the, the player is on the field, is down on the ground. Maybe you don't have as many people around, and he's a little bit charged, and he's trying to move around, and it's a little harder to control that situation. My tendency has been the same, the same as yours, which has been the the, the traditional. Yeah. One, it's definitely it's move both or remove neither. But then two, if you can, leave it on. Till they get to the to the emergency where it can be done in a more controlled environment. I think the people that would argue with sorry to cut you off if you were uh, no, no, no. I right. think the people that would argue with us, it seems like we're all in agreement with the all or none principle, is right. that if all of a sudden you need access, it's a really tough time to start Heck yeah. cutting everything off. So 
people will argue that it's better just to do it immediately just to be safe right. rather than in an instance where you have to have immediate exactly. access That's to the, the airway, right. which I, I don't know if I can argue that. When they bring that up, you're like, it's a good point. Like, right. we want to start CPR immediately. But I think it also depends on what that initial exam is on the field. Sure. And then, you know, it's very different being at a Pop Warner football game. Right you know, in, in Vineland versus mm. being at, you know, Three River Stadium right, or, or right, something like that. Right. You know, yeah. the facilities, the Hums. access to medical yeah. care, all of that's very different. Mm. You know, when you're putting putting a, a, a teenager in an ambulance versus putting a professional athlete back into the medical facility that yeah. is the locker room at right. that point. Right. Um, but I think if your initial exam, if that patient's awake, if that patient's communicating, if mm -hmm. that patient's hemodynamically stable, you know, I don't know what you're gaining yeah, um, because the likelihood that they're going to have a catastrophic cardiac or pulmonary event in the ambulance is very slim later, at that point. Like later. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have an unconscious patient, mm -hmm. I can I can start to buy mm -hmm. into that a little bit more of, okay, listen, we're doing this because we may need to do an emergency trach, or right. we may need to do CPR Innovate, at right some again, point, or intubate, or whatever it's going to be. I can buy into that a little bit more, but it really depends on the situation. You know, everything, we're all making very quick judgments. Mm -hmm. And I think the my judgment and this is only for me. And, and, you know, we use a phrase all the time as surgeons in my hands. Right. It's, you know, what works best with our experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my hands, I'm always going to lean towards keeping it on unless I see a specific need to take it off. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's just more, more conservative. It's um, less bouncing around unless I think there is going to be a cardiopulmonary need. Right. Keep it on until we get a really good exam and get some imaging. Or if the, like, the helmet doesn't fit well, it's huge or something like that. Right. Then, then you have another issue to, to, to yeah. consider. But in most situations, it's, it's not the... And I'll tell you, uh, the equipment aspect of things has come a long way probably yeah. since we were strapped mm -hmm. into those pads, right? Like um, <laughs> the Dr. Frey, you mentioned about removing the face mask. Right. And that's no longer a power tool. And, Dremel, you know, what players, we, angels. Yeah, and, it is, yeah. yeah, it's at the electronic. It has a little we're, we're not, Yeah, it, 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 we have what we call quick release now where even uh, a pen cap will un, unsnap four yeah. things. The face mask comes right off. You know, Brandon, going back to him, Brandon Olea, um, you know, he, he kind of gave me the term. I was calling it just kind of an emergency detachment. He calls it a ripcord on the shoulder pads now yep. where you pull the ripcord and those shoulder pads flap right open. Mm -hmm. Now you still have to do the T-cut that you yeah. were mentioning. You get the jersey open, Top but to that ripcord just boom, everything unfolds where we're not cutting the laces. I, mean, I remember as a Pop Warner football player, you, you know, you were sitting there just trying to get them tight. Cut the laces, <laughs> cut the bands. Right. Yep. And then you're cutting through plastic at that point. Yep. Uh, but now they just have them where it's, it's almost like a parachute. You're just pulling that and that whole, that whole chest plate opens up. And that gives you the access that you need immediately. As fathers with, with children now in sports, um, do you guys look at sports in a, a different way? I, mean, I know you guys are both very involved. You guys are probably at your kids' games. I mean, are, are you able to detach yourself from being a physician or are you always on call when you're at these games? <laughs> you, want, you want to take this one first or? So to, to a small extent, yeah, always on call. I think the last time I talked about this is when we have uh, Dr. Greenleaf on, mm -hmm. but I don't remember for sure, but I, I was joking around how, um, you know, my son was in the, the, the South Jersey finals and lacrosse, their mm -hmm. team, you know, they had a great season. And um, at, at halftime, I went down and used the restroom and I, and I joked, I was like, I can tell you um, in my town, I, I live in Haddonfield, yeah. in my town, I know there's a, an AED in the men's bathroom 
underneath the stadium, underneath the bleachers. Like, mm -hmm. and that happens like in random places where like I make mental note, here it is, you know, like if something strange happens and I don't know. So, so there's a little bit of that, I guess it's just sort of ingrained. Um, you know, I don't think about it from minute to minute, right? Like mm -hmm. my, my son's wrestling or mm -hmm. whatever sport is playing at that point in time. I'm not thinking about it from minute to minute, right? Like what, what, what will I do if this injury happens? I'm, I'm in the moment and, yeah. and enjoying the moment and coaching or whatever, and, or, you know, supporting them or whatever it is. But um, there, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. I think at this point, there's no way for there not to be. And I think as, as the athletic trainer, like I, you know, you and Dr. Greenleaf, the, the spinal stuff is not what I want to, I see, right? You know, it's just, it, you learn it and you, you trust your education that you can handle it in the moment, but I, I don't want to see it. Of course. And, and I think that's evolved over time yeah. too. Um, yeah. You know, you look at who's on the sidelines now for these NFL games. Right. It used to be, you know, the training staff yeah. and one doc that was right. usually a sports med doc, right. um, surgical and non-op. Yeah. Now you do have a spine surgeon, mm -hmm. usually a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, you know, of some sort on those sidelines. Because if there is a spinal cord injury, if there is a head injury, you need those people there immediately. Yeah. Um, and, and most teams, I, I think all teams at this yeah. point, have a full staff, full complement, which includes spine and yeah. uh, intracranial uh, coverage on the sidelines. If you're at a youth game, though, um, and it's an opposing team, I mean, are you the first guy over the fence when you see somebody go uh, down kind of motionless? So I will tell you, my son's 11 years old playing mm -hmm. tackle football. Right. And I usually... It depends on the play. Yeah. You know, a kid drops like a sack of potatoes and is motionless. Yeah, I'm, first I'm usually out there. Sure. out there before the ref blew the whistle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> luckily, that has not happened. Sure. Um, or as, and as, I certainly don't want to jinx it, so let's knock on wood, right? right. right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to Steve's point earlier, you know, as a dad, you're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I love coaching. I coach my son in baseball. Mm -hmm. I used to coach in football. And now, you know, just a dad on the sidelines right. now for football. Um, but you want to enjoy it. You want to watch right. the game. You want to enjoy the moment. And you don't think about it minute to minute. But the minute or the second there is an injury, right. yeah, you go into that mode at first. Yeah. And I usually sit back. I usually watch a minute, let the coaches go out there. Mm -hmm. If the kid gets up, no problem. If, right. you know, if they start to look a little nervous mm -hmm. or a little slow, I'll start to slowly walk over. Um, you know, I get called over now for any head injury mm -hmm. for football. You know, if a kid get tackled and complains of a headache, I go over, I evaluate them, make sure they're okay. Um, most of the time, they're absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, you sort of try to temper some of it. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, it's not minute to minute and you can, uh, you can enjoy a lot of the sports. Right. How important is the, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, the importance of, you know, Pop Warner where we talk about heads up football? So I think that's come full circle too. Mm -hmm. I, I think a couple of years ago, five, six years ago with the uh, CTE, mm -hmm. you know, there was a, um, a big drop off in kids playing tackle football. Yeah. We've sort of seen a little rebound. Um, I'll tell you, you know, in our town, we started a, uh, a program called the, the Fundamentals Program. Sean Tilger mm -hmm. uh, was a coach in our town, a dad in our town that said, you know what, I want to try to see if we can do this the right way. And he took really little guys, um, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old guys. We put them in pads, played no games. But we did a lot of drills um, on the right way to tackle, the right way to block, mm -hmm. how not to use your head to do it. And a lot of it's completely different from when, you know, I was playing Pop Warner football. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to play football in college. A lot of the techniques we're teaching now for tackling are different than even what I was training on in college. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think it's been great. And I think the heads up, the flag, 
all of that trying to save the sport and make it as safe as possible. That coupled with the technology and the helmets, mm -hmm. um, our knowledge and you know of these injuries now and how we pull the kids off and evaluate them and treat them if they are injured or even suspected injury, of, you know, a head injury or a neck injury. All of that has come so long in the last five years. And I think it was spurred on by a lot of the CTE stuff at the higher level. But we're seeing less and less of those injuries every year uh, for the combination of all the things you know I just mentioned. Um, and we're seeing a resurgence in that Pop Warner, that youth football, tackle football uh, arena. Yeah. The things that you do to prevent some of the potential CT issues and, and concussion issues are the same things you do to prevent a lot of the spinal cord injuries. 100%. So it works out beautifully. It's, it's all technique and doing it the right way and training on that yeah. from the time you're six, seven, eight years old. We talked a little bit about the advancement of the, the equipment, kind of the opposite way. You know what we don't see enough, correct me if I'm wrong, is those big neck right. rolls. That's an advancement. Am I right? About, like, so, <laughs> I mean, your thoughts on that, Dr. Sanfilippo? I mean, what were those back then in like the 90s? Well, you have the to cowboy think, rolls yeah, and all yeah. but you have to think what those rolls did. It's, it's sort of stabilized the head in an inline position, you know, and the thought was at that point you were preventing the hyperextension injury, which, so, we, saw with which we have seen. But what it also did is it prevented um, people that were going into block or tackle from extending their head and neck naturally, keeping their head out of the way. Yeah. So it puts you where you were leaning, leading with the crown of that helmet yeah. more frequently, and you see more of that axial load, more of that tackle. inline load, a spare tackle, mm -hmm. which I think will prove and has proven to be a much riskier way uh, for the for the neck. Right. Sample, I didn't ask you before we started, but uh, we typically like to end the show with a little bit of uh, Dr. Frey and I talk about fantasy football. Is that something you do or? Uh, not well. Not well? <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I do, I, I do uh, fantasy football. How's um, your team looking this year? Uh, injury riddled as mine or? Horrendously injury riddled. Yeah. Um, who do you have? Who do I have now? So Jarvis Landry is the yeah. big one that's out yeah. for me. Sure. Uh, killing me right now. Um, We're going to talk I, a lot about the Cleveland Browns, Dr. Uh, Frey. So, yes. <laughs> I think uh, every single player right now yeah. is questionable for me right. for this week. Right. right. So it's, it's, it becomes a little tough. Swift, uh, the running back Swift yeah. from Detroit. And, you know, we've, yeah. we've had a bunch of those guys. Uh, you know, but it's frustrating. I, I, I do get some good production out of some guys. And yeah. I, I run into buzzsaws every yeah. week, it seems. Dr. Frey, we had a special episode dedicated just to – not special, but we had a whole episode dedicated just to uh, – uh, Baker Mayfield. Right. Uh, and we saw a, another, you know, dislocation of Here his left shoulder. Again. So yeah. wh wh where do you think we're at with that right now? Yeah. You know, it's his non-throwing arm, which obviously gives him a big advantage. And we right? know he's not playing tomorrow night now. And, and he's out tomorrow. He's out tomorrow night. So just like we talked about, once it happens once, now you're predisposed and it's probably going to happen again. Yeah. So fortunately, because it's not, it, it is his non-throwing arm. It could be a scenario, could be a situation where, you know, get him in the brace and kind of limit his activity, give him some time and try to get him through the rest of the season, fix it at the end of the season. You know, have, one time, absolutely. That's the right answer. Two times, so it's becoming a little more questionable. I think if it happens again, I think the right answer is, you know, you know like end it right there and fix it. I think right now is that little bit of that gray area. Yeah. If it's the offseason already, right? Like let's say you say it was the last game of the playoffs or the last game of the regular season. If they didn't make the playoffs and it happened the second time, I think without question he's getting it fixed, you know, next week kind of a thing. But in this scenario, 
where they're still there's the team looks good, right? When yeah. they're running, when they're firing on all cylinders, when Nick Chubb's not out, and um, if 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 Odell Beckham, you know my thoughts there. If he comes around, if uh, if the team is kind of going full steam ahead. They have some some real playoff potential here, so I think in this scenario they're they're probably gonna keep him out this this yeah. week. Well, they are keeping him out this week. You know, I don't know, maybe misses another week, but I think they're gonna. I don't think they're operating right away, and I think they're gonna try to get him back in. I think if it does happen again, I think we might see a different scenario. Did you see that that clip where he goes down? I mean, that one looked yeah. that one looked bad. I mean, and he, he said he's it was more painful. Around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now on the flip side of that, right, with Fernando Tatis, a little bit of a different injury. He's going out in a different direction. Mm-hmm. We we just assumed without question, right? This guy's gonna get surgery at mm-hmm. the end of the season. And he seems and to be not. fighting it still. And right? then we went on record saying, like, oh, they'll fix this in the offseason. Absolutely. But now it doesn't seem like he is. Now it doesn't yeah. seem like he is. So so I guess, you know, I can't. it's really hard to predict for sure how that's going to play out. And obviously the player has some input on this. But but my gut is that they don't fix him yet. He comes back to play. But if it does happen again, and it may, yeah. then maybe at that point they're, they're, they're going to the backup. And the thing that I look at and I worry about with both of those players is these are both very dynamic players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is not a typical pocket passer. This is not a, you know, your typical first baseman type player, you know, for Tatis. Mm -hmm. You know, so you sit there and you say, okay, Tatis has already switched positions because of this. They moved him off the shortstop to the outfield. Mm -hmm. He's a shortstop. Yeah. So now it's changing his career trajectory because of that. Is it affecting him at the plate? Is it not affecting him at the plate? His mechanics there? I think that's what we talked about. I mean, this is a guy they invested 240 ish million dollars into. Mm-hmm. Probably I mean, the best young player. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, most exciting, hands sure. down, young Amazing. player in the right. You know, and then you look at a guy like Mayfield and say, well, you know, if this is affecting his throwing mechanics. Yeah. You know, if he's not, you know, if he's not uh, opening up his front side because mm-hmm. he's worried about that or if he's worried about taking a hit with it, is it right. affecting that? You know, at this level, you know, these guys are the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%. Yeah. Because of how they do the things that they do when they move their body, mm-hmm. even if it's just a mental thing and it gets in their mind that they have an injury or have to protect something or have to do something different sure. that makes them Chain less out. than what they are. The psychological component is big, and I, I don't Huge. know if it gets enough credit yeah. at times. Yeah. In keeping with the Cleveland Browns, um, and, and, and another topic that we discussed early on when we had uh, the conversation about Mike Trout, these calf strains, right. soft tissue, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb both out with a calf strain. And, and Kareem Hunt, I think they were fearful, you know, the way it looked like it was an Achilles tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily that, you know, it's not, but those are not something that we can predict at this point, right? We've seen them where Mike Trout missed a few months yeah. um, or it could be a couple of weeks. I mean, we certainly don't know the severity of them. That one's all over the map, right? Yeah. The devil's in the details on that. I've said it a hundred times. You really got to have a look at the MRI, have a look at the player and get an evaluation and hands-on evaluation to get a better assessment right. because it can be, um, they can be back in a week or two, yeah. or they could struggle through the rest of the season. Yeah. Last one, I, I don't think we have a lot of details on. Uh, did you see the Indianapolis kicker? Uh, Blankenship. I, I, I have Blankenship on my team. I did not see the injury, <laughs> so, but I knew he was out. <laughs> we're, I'm watching the game, and, and, and shout out to my wife. She loves football, loves fantasy football. She, she loves setting her lineup. Awesome. I'm watching her just cracking up because at first she, they just made it seem like he couldn't find his helmet mm-hmm. and she also has it. So she's cra- like, he couldn't get out there cause he didn't have his helmet. But as things evolve, we find out, you know, he's dealing with this hip injury. We have, we don't really have any details. We now know he's on IR. But how quickly they ran him back out after the punter missed the field goal. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like, you see these like weird, like he's sitting on the sideline kind of in this like 
groin stretching position, but like you don't see anybody else on the sideline stretching. And of course, like it's a little weird. Right? He's got these big like rec specs on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She just looks different to begin with, but he's good. Thoughts on what could he be dealing with? Do we think? Just a muscle strain? Is it, could, it? it could simply be a muscle strain. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about FAI, femoral acetabular impingement. Yeah. You know, what, where FAI can lead you would be more severe would be something along the lines of a, of a labral tear. Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for you because yeah. it could be all over the board. The, the, yeah. the hip and the pelvis is pretty complex. You know, could this be uh, athletic pubialgia or, mm-hmm. or sports training? Like it, it can we be saw any him get back out there and, he, you know, he made a few kicks and, you know, things like right. that. But then right. later on. So so presumably it's, it's not a labral tear. But but even with that, like like maybe you can yeah. kind of finish up if it's not too bad. So it, it could be all over the place. All right. Well, Dr. Dr. San Filippo, I mean, I, I wish I could say I, I want to see you more, but at the same time, I, I don't want to have to be sending you people. So it's kind of like a catch 22. See you more at the energy lab. Yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> yeah, a better right. way to do it. We'll see you when you get down there. Well, we thank you for coming all the way down here and joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, man. That's going to go ahead and wrap things up for this evening. Before we close out our tab, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Reconstructive Orthopedics with our eight locations and focused on new approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs. The Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination. Neck of the Woods, of course, for hosting us each and every week, located here at 614 Lambs Road in Pittman, New Jersey. And our good friends at Timber Reel Productions, Joe Warner, our on-site producer, and Kyle Miller, our editor. Thanks a lot for joining us. We'll catch you guys next time.